All right, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Beautiful, beautiful praise music about our risen king. I'm going to speak to you about a story that happened just on his way to the cross a few days before Jesus Christ, our Savior, was to be crucified and how much it teaches us about uh, gratitude and, and all that we owe him for what he has done for us. Verse 6, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble you the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For you have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. That makes it a missions verse. Jesus said that everywhere this gospel will be preached, this story is going to be part of the gospel message. And uh, it's because it, 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 it contains the reason why we do what we do for the Lord Jesus Christ. Missions is something that we do because of gratitude for what he has done for us. There'd be no purpose in it. There'd be no reason if Christ hadn't died on the cross and shed his blood and rose again and given us the hope of eternal life for all who will believe. And if he hadn't said that all whosoever may come and to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, if he hadn't said that, then we wouldn't be going. And the motivation for that is gratitude. Let me explain uh, this to you in this passage. First of all, in verse 6, Jesus was in Bethany. Now, whenever he went to Bethany, we know from other scriptures, and by the way, this is a parallel passage to John chapter 12, so we know that this woman, had, her name was Mary, uh, the sister of um, Lazarus and, and Martha. We know who she was, and quite often when Jesus stayed, uh, would come to Jerusalem, he would stay with them. This, this, these were his very, very good friends. But this time, he was, he was in, for this meal at least, in the home of Simon the leper. Now, we, we know a lot about uh, disease here in the last couple uh, years and, and how that, you know, we do everything about covering our mouths and seeing to it that we don't communicate. Well, back in Jesus' day, uh, there was a disease called leprosy. And once again, the Jewish law stated that when lepers who lived outside of the village, outside of the city and kind of a garbage area where they could go through refuse and find refuse and find food. Um, we know that whenever they would enter any public place, which they weren't really supposed to do, but they would have to close their mouths by, with their um, hands and they would have to shout as loud as they could, unclean, unclean. And we see that from different encounters that Jesus had. Now, we don't know that Jesus, uh, that Jesus healed Simon uh, from his leprosy, but we figure he had to because now Simon was back in his home, which was illegal. No leper could be uh, in a home around other people uh, spreading that very contagious disease. And leprosy in those days was a, a disease that afflicted the extremities people, and still does in, in Africa. When I was a boy, my parents were missionaries in the Belgian Congo, and uh, I have a vivid memory of, of some people, some men, uh, going down to see the witch doctor without a nose, without fingers, without ears, 
some without toes. And they were going down there with leprosy that had eaten away their extremities, and they were trying to find a cure. Now, no witch doctor was ever able to help them, to my knowledge, and pretty much common sense would tell you that. But that was their only hope. In this day, Jesus was the only hope for a leper. I'm sure that they, they, would, they would have loved to have been able to, to live a normal life, but they could not. But when they encountered Jesus, he made lepers whole with a word, sometimes with a touch. Uh, he frequently did that. So we have to assume that Simon was one of these lepers that Jesus had healed. And many times we read about Jesus, wherever he went, would heal multitudes of, of people from different afflictions. So no doubt there was a time in Simon's life when he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, I will be thou clean. And he showed himself to the priests, and he all of a sudden the scabs and the and the, the wasting away of his flesh was restored unto him, as in the Old Testament when Naaman um, was healed. You know, like a baby's flesh. What a miraculous change took place in in Simon's life. Now he maybe had his family back. Now he was back in his home. Probably was one of the most humble homes because he hadn't been able to work and provide a living for his family. But now he was home. And he said, Jesus, I know you're coming to Jerusalem. It was Passover time. This is just days before Christ gave his life willingly on the cross. And he said, Jesus, this time I'm going to make you a meal. Come to my house. Would you do that? He was showing gratitude for all that Jesus had done for him. Then in the midst of his outpouring of gratitude and uh, giving all, all, all that he could give to the master. And of course, the 12 disciples were there. He wasn't just feeding one person, you know. He, may, he had to put out a lot of funds in order to, to feed that crowd, I'm sure, that day. And in the middle of that, here comes a woman identified in John 12, we know, who, who lived in Bethany. Her name was Mary. And she brought an alabaster box of very precious ointment. What had Jesus done for her? Well, just a few months ago, Jesus came to that same spot. Mary kind of reprimanded him for not getting there earlier. And I mean, Martha did. And, and Mary just, she didn't really have much to say. She was so grief-stricken. But they both made it clear to Jesus that had he come, their brother would not have died. Now, what kind of a home was this? Well, we don't know exactly, but it doesn't seem like any of them had a wife or a husband. It seemed like these were three siblings that had not married, maybe in their 30s and 40s, and they were living in, their, in the same home, and uh, they loved each other. And can you imagine, because you, most of you have, have brothers or sisters uh, in the prime of life, if, if one of your brothers or sisters died, you know the grief that you go through. Then can you imagine if by a miracle of God, he was able to raise them back and give them back to you? That's what happened in this household. Their brother had died. He was dead four days. You know the story. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He came forth, and he was restored to his sisters, Mary and Martha. And now it was time for Jesus to come for his final time into Jerusalem. And Mary took her life savings, basically, and poured it out in gratitude for what Jesus had done for her. This, this alabaster box was full of spikenard, John chapter 12 tells us. Spikenard is one of the many spices that is found in the Himalayan mountains. I, I've been there many times. The Himalayas, we have a Bible college up, up there. I, I, I see Mount Everest through the uh, window of my airplane uh, time after time just before I land in Bagdogra, India. 
and um, it is noted for its spices, noted for its teas. The whole, not, not Mount Everest, but the, the foothills of the Himalayas, that's where they grow all that good stuff. And back in Bible times, that's where the traders from India would take their vast amounts of spices, which was almost like liquid gold, and so they would load up their camels and donkeys and they'd make a huge journey. And they'd come down through what is now Lahore, Pakistan, and Karachi, Pakistan, and over to Tehran, Iran, and, and then down to Basra, and then and, and up to B uh, Babylon and Nineveh, the biggest cities on earth, down to Damascus, over to Tyre and Sidon, down to Jerusalem, and then finally down to Cairo. And they would they would get a lot of money from selling the spices in all those big cities. Then on the way back, they'd do the very same thing, only they'd buy. They'd buy grain. They'd buy oats and wheat. They'd buy sheep and oxen, things that they were not able to, to have where they were, and they'd go back home stocked with what they needed. And I, can you just see Mary, as a young girl, as many would do, running down to the market because the spice dealers were here. And she maybe would buy a little vial of that very expensive ointment that she worked hard to save for, and she was able to buy that. And she'd hurry home and open up her alabaster box. And maybe you've been to Israel or, or Egypt, and you've seen they're beautiful like a marble box, and, and they have a nice lid on them. And you could put liquid there, and it'll, it'll last forever pretty much. There's nothing, no air can get in. And put the, the, the seal back on it. And, and wait till the next time the spice traders would come. Maybe the next year. And by that time she would have saved a little more money. And she'd go down to the market and buy that little bottle and hurry home and open it up quickly, dump it in, put the lid back. And for years she was saving that. You know, it was quite common in those days for young ladies to do that for their future husbands. For their marriage, in other words, when they would then use it to anoint their body at the marriage ceremony, but also at, in other times. That was their gift to their husbands. Husbands. And that was quite common practice in those days. Well, she never did get married, but she sure wanted to demonstrate her love and pour it out to the one who had raised, risen, raised her brother from the dead. And we find out later in this passage, she knew one thing that the disciples unfortunately were missing. Jesus had told the disciples over and over, I'm going to Jerusalem, and they will crucify me, I will be buried, and I will rise again three days later. And now Peter got so bold that he said, no, that's not going to happen. We're not going to let that happen. And none of the other disciples believed it either. Well, because when it happened, where were they? Gone. Every one of them ran away. Very few, if any, believed. But Jesus said, verse 13 and verse 12, I'm sorry, for in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. This woman, Mary, was the one who sat at Jesus' feet while Martha was busy in the kitchen and Lazarus, who knows what he was up to. But she was the one that would, would listen to Jesus. When Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified, Mary was listening. Mary believed. Now, I'm not knocking the disciples per se, but boy, it's hard to go through Matthew 16 to, you know, to 24 and not have a pretty dim view. Remember they said in Matthew 19, Peter said, we've left everything. Lord, what, what's in it for us? What should we have there for? It's hard to ignore when all the way up from Jericho to Jerusalem, the disciples were arguing about who is the greatest. In other words, who, when, when he conquered the Romans, would be sitting on this side of him and this side of him. And the mother even got involved. That's what we're talking about. But there was one disciple, this Mary, who knew. 
This Mary who appreciated the Lord Jesus Christ. This Mary who took her life savings and poured it out on his head and washed his feet with her hair. That's gratitude. In the, you know, but here's what I can't understand. In the middle of these two people pouring out their gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ, something that we should be doing on a daily basis, look at his disciples' reaction. Huh. What purpose is this waste? Now, I know in John 12, it was Judas who actually said the words, but in this passage, it just said they all thought it. Huh. We could have sure done. You know, we get too technical, don't we, in serving the Lord? Instead of doing what we do for the Lord Jesus Christ out of gratitude for what he's done for us, we can somehow, like the disciples, boil it down into, you know, what's, what's in it for us? What could we do with that money? Oh, let us never, as the uh, church of Jesus Christ, let us never lose the passion for doing what we do because we love him. There's no price that we should be unwilling to pay, and yet so often we barter and we bicker and we, you know, someone in the church wants to do something really passionate by their love for Jesus and somebody else goes, oh, yeah, I don't know why they're doing that. No, gratitude is something that we should have on a daily basis, but so often we're missing it. We do things out of, uh, you know, because others are doing it or out of pressure that we should be doing it. There's so many things that prey on our emotions, but we need to get back to doing, especially the work of missions, because of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. Why? You ask yourself, why did the disciples have that opinion? Well, they took him for granted. They, they thought he was their ticket to fame. Number two, they were always giving. Wherever they went, Jesus would provide the food. Sometimes he did miracles to provide the food. Whenever they needed their taxes to be paid or something was wrong, they always looked to Jesus. And, of course, we should look to Jesus. He, he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden. Where many promises are given to us that, 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 that he wants to meet our needs. But, you know, sometimes we get so used to him meeting our needs that we don't see the other side of it. What are we doing for him? And these disciples had missed it, but Mary hadn't missed it. Simon hadn't missed it. And then Mary was the only one who knew what Jesus was about to do. And so she poured out what she had upon the master. And Jesus said, this story of gratitude, what you have done, is going to be told throughout the world. You know, people ask us in missions, why are you here? Why do you give up? They know what life is like in America. Why do you do that so you can live humbly among us? And I'm sure you, with all the wonderful missionaries you support and are connected to, they get asked that question all the time. Well, it's because we want to do something for the one who has done so much for us. There's no, nothing too great that we could do to serve the one who has given his life and his all and blessed us and also is providing us a place and coming back to take us there. How can we not give everything that we have to that one? There's a man... I'd like to close with a, a, a poem he wrote. That you'll recognize the poem. His name was C.T. Studd. He was a, a, a famous cricket, cricket player in England at the turn of the century in the early 1900s. He was one of the better cricket players, and his family was wealthy. That's how come he was, it was a, in England a wealthy man's game. And, so, and he was young in his 20s, and he had it all. He, he had, you know, they didn't pay their 
athletes millions, but if they had, he would have been one of those highly paid with the big contract. But at the age of 25, 26, he, he, he said, you know, I need to serve my master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, and he quit. He quit being a cricket player. And then he went to his, his, his parents and, and uh, he, when he told them his desire was to go to the mission field. And so they gave him what inheritance that he had, which was a large inheritance. He sent some to D.L. Moody. He sent some to, to other uh, great mission. Hudson Taylor was a beneficiary. William Carey was a beneficiary. He just took all that largesse, his own contract plus his parents' wealth, and he divided among many, many people that you would recognize and their mission programs. But that wasn't enough. Then he said, you know, I believe God wants me to go to the mission field. So he went to where William Carey was working in eastern India. And again, I've had the privilege of working amongst those people, and some of them have come to me and, and said at times, my grandfather came to know Jesus. He was a Hindu, but he came to know Jesus because of a man named William Carey. Do you know him? What a joy that is. And up in Burma, Myanmar now, you, you're working among people whose descendants were won to Christ uh, by Adoniram Judson. Anyway, uh, C.T. Studd went there, and he went. He finally, he, after about 12 years, he got sick. He wasn't a, didn't seem to have the resistance that some have. Um, but 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 anyway, he got sick and had to go back uh, to his home in in England. And he recovered there, and he, he got married there. And uh, it looked like well, I, you know, most of us would think, well, I did I did my time 12 years in India. No, not C.T. Studd. He became burdened for China and Hudson Taylor. And so he sailed for China, I believe with his wife, and, and, and they had ministry there for another 12 or 13 years. And once again, got sick, had to go back to England. And by this time, he was in his 50s, and he'd been very, very sick, near death, in two different, very difficult places. And everybody thought, well, now you just, you know, you've done your part for missions. But because of his heart of gratitude, he said, no, David Livingston has opened up Africa. And I want to go to Africa. And he did. And he went and he, he, uh, he lived in Africa again for another 12 or 13 years and served God. And, and many uh, millions of Africans today uh, are descendants of people that he had won to Christ there in the heart of Africa around Chad and Central African Republic. He wrote this poem, and I think you'll recognize it. It's called Only One Life. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon its fleeting hours will be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. There are a couple other verses, but I'll go to the last one. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, "Twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And in a day in which so many Christians are looking for what they can get from Christ, let us be the people who say, what can I do for you? 
with the only life that I have. I want to give it to you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for a missions-minded group of people here at Pitts. I know personally they have not only invested in me, but in many of my friends. And, and, and I, every time I come, I, I hear about the trips they're taking and the young people who are enthused about giving their lives to you and the people that are in training and going out to plant churches that have been raised in this church. And just thank you, Lord, for uh, people who have a passion to reach the world for Christ and then also to be doing things in this community as well. Lord, right now it's, it's difficult when uh, this disease rares up and, and, and causes such uh, difficult times. And, and I, I know the church longs to be able to meet and thank you that they're able to again next week. Lord, we just, we appreciate so much what you have done for us. We appreciate that you have given us a home in heaven that's free of disease and, and, and the wickedness that we see around us and, and, and the deviance that we're faced with every time we seem like we get on a news or social type program. Lord, thank you for the deliverance that you promised to us, the peace that is in our hearts and the provision that you have made. Now, help us as we consider what we can do for you. Help us always to consider what needs to be done what we can do because of our love for you, our gratitude for what you've done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.